can talk about it with your friends. I'm Courtney. I'm Shannon. I'm Andrew. And we're here this week to talk about The Shining in preparation for Dr. Sleep. Woo! Um, and we just got our first snow this weekend, yeah, we and this movie was really creepy to watch oh, in that sure. context. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, but before we get too far into it, we're going to do Media of the Week, so um, I'm going to start. I Andrew and I actually, so this is, Andrew has a separate thing he's going to talk about. <laughs> oh, he does. We finally got around to watching the third season of Stranger Things. We have not finished it. Put down your pitchforks, everybody. I know. Like, I know that it's I've already shamed you guys I know that it's almost November. My mother has watched it literally like three or four times already. So, and went back and watched the previous seasons three times. So... In my def- in our defense, I didn't like season two, and so I was not very excited to watch season. But this two. is a lot better than season two. It was fine. Well, look, it was fun, but that was but that was my thing. I was just, and I know that we talked about this on the podcast when season two came out a year and a half ago, almost two years at this point. Yeah. Um, I didn't want it to be Aliens three because it like it was following <laughs> the trajectory of the Alien franchise, and I didn't want to watch Stranger Things become Aliens three. People so. like. Aliens. Well, though. Alien and Aliens are good. Like okay. they, but then the third one, and much like the Terminator Jim. franchise, is nonsense. <laughs> so thanks, Jim. Thanks for that. Yeah. Jim Cameron ruins everything he touches. Anyway, um, another another Jim Cameron Ridley Scott kind of things going. Anyway, um, yeah, I hate I, I, James Cameron, but that was not his doing. What's that? That wasn't his doing, though. We yeah, can't Aliens blame 3? him for that. We can blame him for lots of things. No, Aliens, I thought Aliens 3 was Jim Cameron. Aliens 3 is David Fincher. Which, much to my chagrin, because I love David Fincher. Wasn't, isn't wasn't it Alien Cameron, Resurrection? I thought it was just Alien. Aliens Ridley Scott, I believe. And Aliens is James Cameron. And Alien Resurrection is... Oh, maybe I... Nope, I'm thinking of the... What is the third one called, though? Um, we are getting way off the topic. Like, it's David Fincher, yeah, is my point. Yeah, it's David Fincher. <laughs> um, I'm looking at it right now, Andrew. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. You know what? Fine. You know what? But we can hate on James Cameron all yes, we want because I do hate him. <laughs> so. And we will get into that. We're recording Terminator soon, so yes. we'll get all <laughs> up in that. Um, my thing is Stranger Things, and the reason why, like, between Andrew and I that we haven't watched it is because I have a really hard time watching horror in the summertime, so. Yeah, for me, like, horror in the summer is really hard. I have to, like, around Halloween time, in, like, early fall, that's when I get into horror, but other times of the year, I just find it really hard. So. Which makes it hard to watch Jaws, because that's the perfect fourth one. <laughs> Jaws, Jaws is different for me. That's shark movie. Shark movies are fine for summer. That's a horror movie. It's it's primarily it's not a shark. It's invented the shark movie genre. Yeah. Anyway. But it is still a shark. Anyway. Movie. Yeah. Anyway. So we finally got. Our, we were sick the weekend of the Fourth of July. We wound up getting sick, and so we didn't watch it. And then it just kind of felt like, oh, we missed the boat. We'll get to it eventually. <laughs> and then now that it's like and now that you've seen everyone dressed up as Scoop Troop, you were like, my I gotta jump on board. My sister's entire family is this, is Stranger Things kids and all that kind of stuff. That's so it's lovely. Like, yeah, my, my oh. nephew, my nephew's Dustin, and he's oh. got the wig and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, okay, all right, fine. So cute. And they keep giving me so much garbage for not having seen it, and they're giving me garbage even though my dad hasn't seen a single minute of Stranger Things, and yet I'm the one under scrutiny. Three is so good though. <laughs> Anyhow. How about you, Shannon? 
Um, well, first of all, Andrew, I'll have you know that I watched the thing you were going to discuss yesterday because I wanted to be fully prepared right. for this discussion, and I am now resenting you for oh. it because that is the worst. Okay. We will get to that. Um, I also <laughs> saw The Lighthouse, um, which is a black and white movie that is done, I can't remember the exact aspect ratio, but that like square aspect ratio. And it's from the director of The Witch, Robert Eggers. So if anyone hasn't seen The Witch, like super scary folk horror, it's wonderful. Um, But this is his follow-up to that. And um, it's with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, who have like crazy pirate accents, and they're working together in a lighthouse. Crazy pirate beards too, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Well, um, Robert Pattinson has a bushy mustache That's right. instead of a full beard, That's but right. um, and it's just great. It's kind of about Robert Pattinson's descent into madness. And as I was watching The Shining in preparation for this, I'm like, wow, there are a lot of parallels between these two things. <laughs> so. I would highly, well, if you like, it's very strange movie. So if you like that kind of thing, would highly recommend. But it's it's not going to be for everyone. (laughs) There's a whole lot of symbolism throughout it. Like I just read a bunch of stuff up about it after I saw it and was fascinated. So anyway, I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, Um, from kind of like movie guys that I'm like, I don't know that I 100% agree with your taste, but like you, they're like auteur type of like oh this is amazing so i trust that it is really well done and really cool but i don't know yeah we'll not be everyone's cup of tea cool all right (laughs) well well first off i would like to say i began listening to uh the ringers binge mode star wars podcast oh i need to do that they're doing a deep dive as they did for game of thrones and harry potter into the star wars movie franchise um it's really very good uh, mallory and jason are fantastic podcast hosts um and they know their stuff it's really it's really been very good they don't like phantom menace which is the episode i've started listening to attack of clones <laughs> just came out today not to like tell you exactly when we did when we recorded this episode um but so i haven't had a chance to listen to that i haven't had a chance to listen to the character study of jar jar binks yet either um but they are going in and kind of giving some perspective on George Lucas and some of the stuff that he went through kind of to get this film off the ground made me appreciate Phantom Menace a little bit more while still understanding its its flaws. So, uh, well worth a listen, I think, um, for Star Wars fans. Awesome. Um, and the thing that I've been wanting to talk about for weeks <laughs> that I forgot and I remembered in the middle of an episode and I had to delete it and all this kind of stuff, I finally saw what is maybe my new favorite bad film of all time, Jupiter Ascending. It is incredible it's it's incredible if you guys ask me to do the thank party uh for that we you guys usually do for thanksgiving i'm absolutely going to talk about this even though it didn't come out this year um i (laughs) loved every second of that movie i love like sometimes i loved it ironically and other times it was completely unironically that i loved it i loved almost everything about sean bean in that film (laughs) That was, he's part B, which is amazing. <laughs> Bees can sense royalty. There's too much, there's too much to talk about. It is next level, balls to the wall, crazy, and beautiful at the same time. The costumes are incredible. Yeah. Like, I wanted to wear everything Jupiter wears. The, except for maybe the made out, 
costumes, I, I assume. Like, what costumes? Made, like the cleaning lady ones that she wears. Well, yeah. She always looks good. If I could look like Mila Kunis. <laughs> I would wear anything. <laughs> um, but just like, I can't even describe the plot <laughs> because it takes 20 minutes to talk about what the plot is. I had to look it up on IMDb to make sure I was following the plot. I was so lost. It's, but the thing is, since it was the Wachowskis, it was there was so much money put into it that like the production value is amazing. Like you said, the costumes are incredible. For me, it was the the like the CG and the like the beautiful sets and all this kind of stuff that they set up. It looked incredible, um, and just like. Eddie, such beautiful nonsense. Eddie Redmayne's character you can tell Eddie Redmayne knew exactly what he was doing I mean he's he's mumbling the entire time except when he's screaming at the top of his lungs and it is just like this is so good my hot take is I enjoyed him in that way more than I did in Stephen Hawking <laughs> I was like Eddie Redmayne be this way all the time I it was so enjoyable. That was great. He's so bad, but like, well, that's the thing. I don't very think... inherently watchable. It I, was so fascinating. I, hot take here. I don't think he is bad. I think he knows exactly well, what he, he's he doing. He definitely knows what he's doing. He knows exactly <laughs> what this movie is, and he plays to it. He doesn't. Yes. He doesn't pretend that it's some like like he read. I'm sure he read all however many pages of the script and went, "Oh, this is nonsense." <laughs> I will do it. I am a hundred percent here for it, and much like he did when he played Newt Scamander, just really (laughs) committed to it, even though what he was doing was stupid. So, like, what this like? He's I, I create life, and I destroy it. It's just like it's (laughs) such always. This is a year after he won an Oscar. It's the same year. Oh my gosh! His performance made me want to see him play Voldemort. Or oh! see him play Ray Fiennes playing Voldemort. Yes! Absolutely. Redo the series. <laughs> or yeah, like a pre- like a prequel, like a like oh a gosh. like Voldemort's rise to power type of thing, like from the first war. We get to see like the Marauders, Young James, and all that kind of stuff. You got Eddie Redmayne as oh my gosh, the, yeah, playing Ray Fiennes' Voldemort would be that would be. But no, it was just like. Uh, it took my breath away in the best ways and the worst ways. Channing Tatum is a is a wolf. He's a dog, and like, and my Jacob my... beat your heart out. He's the best wolf. <laughs> Channing Tatum is the best wolf. I mean, it wasn't hard to take that crown from Jacob. But Can like... I give you my favorite line yes. that is related to this? I wrote it yes. down. Channing Tatum says, I have more in common than dogs than I do with you. And Jupiter says, I've always loved dogs. <laughs> yes. Yes, that was good. I was just about to say that. I'm so good. It's just, but then, like, he leaves and she just goes, I've always loved dogs. Like, she just, she's desperately. I'm like, no wonder you're not married and your family's making fun of you. Like, she's desperately trying to hook up with Channing Tatum. Just, like, doing everything she possibly can. And it's just, and he's like, nah. You can, you can see this look on, on the actress's face right before she says, I love dogs, where she's just like. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> it's, like a, it's almost like a, I don't know how to respond to that, so. I, I hope you don't love your dog the way you love Channing Tatum in that moment. Like, it just makes no sense. 
Oh, <laughs> I, I was delighted from beginning to end. I am kind of a bad movie guy. Um, <laughs> I like watching bad movies and enjoying them. We um, should do a bad movie award sometime, Andrew. Uh, like I the seen, Sharkies, but I widen seen, it. I haven't seen nearly enough. Like, I enjoy watching mm-hmm. them, but I haven't seen enough, like... Oh, come um, on, I make you watch Van Helsing every year. Okay, but that's one movie every year, and did I'm running out of material. Did you not make him watch The Room when we did that episode? Oh, I watched oh, The Room. Watched okay. No, I was there. No, I watched... But that's the thing. I've seen The Room. I've seen a lot of stuff that, like, the Riff Tracks and MST3K yeah. guys have done. Um, I've watched a lot on my own. Like, like, The Shadow. I watched a lot of stuff that, from How Did This Get Made as well. Um, but they keep pulling out movies that I've never heard <laughs> of, and I'm like, I can't keep up with this. There's so, too much garbage in the world. So like, yeah, they did the Lake House a couple years ago that I haven't seen. I've, de- I've I excuse me, I love the Lake House. <laughs> they did. Uh, yeah, I they, uh, love that movie. From, you all remember from our Nicholas Sparks episode, or, or from our Notebook episode? I, they did the Lake House. Um, Not a Nis- Nicholas Sparks. Wait, no, no, what, no, the Safe Haven. That was it. Yes, that that's was. what I meant to say. Um, so, like, I've seen some of them. Uh, they did Cruel Intentions a little while ago, and we used to own that ones for some reason. <laughs> we used no, to no, 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 no. The other the Sarah Michelle Gellar one. No, 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 no. Um, what was the Sarah Michelle Gellar one that we used to have that had the magic crab? Oh! <laughs> oh, what was that called? Simply Irresistible. The magic crab? <laughs> yes, there's a magic crab in it. So, like... I, I have seen a lot of bad movies, but like I don't think I, I I wouldn't call myself an expert in it. But Jupiter Ascending has, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, has bumped Armageddon from my number one <gasps> all-time favorite bad movie. Oh I still love gosh. Armageddon. Wow, that's intense. Still, oh my gosh! I still love Armageddon sometimes, unironically. Um, but <laughs> but no, if I'm gonna if I'm like you know I want a bad movie, I'm gonna switch on Jupiter Ascending again. That was oh. incredible. What Great. a ride! Great. I think I needed to the visual effects to be worse for me to enjoy it fully as a oh, bad really? movie. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. Like, I think because I love like Sharknado and sure. crap that's like very bad all around. Oh, see, my thing is, I mean, it was like, quite bad, but whew. like a Birdemic where it's like really poor production stuff like that. It's like yes. I enjoy those from a level of like. Oh, they were trying so hard, but, like, with Jupiter Ascending, what I enjoy so much about that is, like, they have all this talent in the cast, very talented cast, like, a lot of money, obviously, behind it, all this kind of stuff, and it still was just, like, this is unintelligible nonsense. They spent millions of dollars to make absolute garbage. But here's the thing, nobody has lost their careers over that movie, I don't think. Like, everybody's kind of, everybody kind of came out of it, except for the Wachowskis, Kind what is of, the last thing Mila Kunis did? Well, I mean, she's still around. Yeah, like, she's still around. Like, I, wouldn't, guy? I wouldn't. Oh boy, <laughs> I wouldn't say that like Jupiter Ascending ruined her career. Like, no. It, I think a lot of people saw this as a springboard. They didn't want to turn into Will Smith, where there it was like, like oh come on. It's so, like then she did the Spy Who Dumped Me, which is also very bad. Yeah. If you want another, like well, that's but, a very enjoyable but, bad movie. But also, but also Mila Kunis isn't like. <laughs> But she never. She wasn't doing like Marvel films or like stuff that would springboard her into superstardom before she did this. Right. I, like the, I think a lot of people saw this one. This is the Wachowskis. I don't want to turn into Will Smith. I mean, Will Smith is a great actor, but he turned down The Matrix. He turned down Neo, yeah. and Keanu Reeves took it, and Keanu Reeves got yeah. a career renaissance out of it. One of his many career renaissances that he's had, <laughs> um, and like. 
I think a lot of people saw that and went, I don't want to pass this up. So people like Channing Tatum and uh, Bila Kunis and um, Eddie Redmayne, they signed on and then went, oh boy, what is this? And like, but they're like, it's okay, it's the Wachowskis, it'll all make sense, but then it didn't. But like, Eddie Redmayne still went on to do the Fantastic Beast franchise, Channing Tatum. Which was, is also interesting. But anyway. <laughs> Channing Tatum was Magic Mike. Um, like, there's still, none of, nobody whose career was, like, at stake except for the Wachowskis here. And even they went on to do Sense8, which has a cult following and is all this kind of stuff, and they're rebooting The Matrix and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, it was, it's one of those things that, like, I hate to see a, pe- a person's career ruined because of a bad film. I don't like to watch that. I, we watched uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen the other day, and that was Sean Connery's last movie. And I'm just like, oh. and I'm just sitting here. just like, we're never Oh. Yeah, I sat there and I went, that's really sad to think about. The Sean Connery's last film is The League of... Ex- it's oh. LXG. In the last time Shane West... Anyone cared about Shane West, unfortunately. Yes, and so it's like... That, those oh. to me... I always watch those and I I'm like... I love that movie. It's like, I like sitting there wa- and I and I enjoy watching it and being like, this is really bad and I enjoy it on that level. But there is a, like kind of a sadness to it. Like, oh, this is Sean Connery's last movie. Like, he didn't do anything else after LXG. He I didn't he do... He didn't do Lord of the Rings and instead did LXG. Like, this is all very depressing for me. So, like, I was I always refer to it as LXG every time I can as well. Just, just for fun. But, like, th- those kind of movies, it's fun for me, but it's also like, ah, oh, this is just really bad. But, like, yeah. like Courtney mentioned, we watch Van Helsing all the time. Hugh Jackman was fine. Kate Beckinsale was fine. Yeah. Um, no Faramir collateral didn't damage. didn't really do anything else, but, you know, he's well, he was in 300, I guess. But, like... Yeah, it was like, this is a bad movie, but it's not like, and then the director killed himself after seeing what happened and all the hate he got online and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you don't want to, you watch bad movies like that and it's like, ugh. But like, like The Shadow um, with Alec Baldwin, it's incredibly bad. Um, Made in like 1994, it was one of those 40s pulp, like The Phantom um, that they did with Billy Zane. Um, it was kind of those old 40s like adventure comics that they adapted into films, and they were all really bad. Even Dick Tracy's was really bad. The Dick Tracy film was really bad. So like The Shadow is another one of those ones that I really enjoy watching because it's bad, but like not there's like not so bad that it's like oh, and then something really tragic happened from it. So mm-hmm. and it's also I also don't like I enjoy watching movies that are bad that have <laughs> low production values. But I also feel a little bit bad because it's like, these guys desperately want to make movies, but they're just kind of bad at it, and it kind of <laughs> makes me a little bit sad. Like, Sharknado is a tongue-in-cheek thing, but like, Birdemic, those guys really tried to make movies, and they're just really bad at it. And it's like, it makes me a little bit sad, but also, like, I enjoy watching it. It's like, wow, you're just, you're really trying your best here, and this is what you can come up with, huh? Like... I don't oh, know. Man. Well, so, we can easily move on. <laughs> uh, I can I can honestly talk about Jupiter's ending for hours. I could talk about it for longer than the movie was when the yeah, movie was forever long. Well, yeah. let's not. Uh, <laughs> can we talk about a really, really good movie now? Yeah. We're gonna talk yes. about the shining. Yay! Let's talk about first exposures. Andrew, what was your first exposure? First exposure to the shining? Uh, like most things, it was the Simpsons. Um <laughs> I'm sure that there have been other references to other... Because, I mean, The Shining is one of those movies, like The Godfather, that gets referenced in almost everything. Um, and I'm sure that I had seen other references, but I didn't understand them. I never... I didn't see the movie when I was a kid. Um, my mom was terrified of it. She watched it when she was a kid and was so scared that she wouldn't let any of us go anywhere near it. Yeah. 
So it was the Simpsons parody called The Shinning, which is on <laughs> Treehouse of Horror 5. I think it's the fifth one. It's from the sixth season. And it follows it, and it's amazing. Nice. Me, I was not allowed to watch The Simpsons growing up. So my first exposure was after Andrew and I got married. We were watching Psych. And uh, they have an episode that parodies a lot of moments from... Actually, a bunch of Stephen King's thing, like uh, Lasseter's neighbor is named Rosemary, and she's pregnant. So she's this Rosemary and her baby. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, there were a whole bunch of Shining references that I was just like, I don't get that. And Andrew was like, that's from The Shining. And I was like, I don't know. So then he had to show me The Simpsons parody. I still have not seen the actual Shining. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Courtney! I know, this is all going to be new for me. <laughs> How about you, Shannon? Um... Okay, I might be combining two separate instances in my life, but I'm choosing to believe <laughs> one of these things led to the other. I remember there was once where my brother like slept, he was walking in his sleep, went up to my mom's bedroom, and my mom woke up and he was kind of like standing there in by her bed and said like, get out! And like really freaked my mom out. He was just like walking and talking in his sleep. Um, but I'm choosing to believe this is the, because I also distinctly remember my mom telling us about Red Rum and explaining this moment to us because my mom spoils every movie that's ever been made, I'm telling you. But I'm choosing to believe she was using it to reference that because it was like a really scary moment for her. And you'll see in the movie, like Danny comes up to Wendy and is like, Red Rum! And like really freaks her out. And so my mom had kind of one of those moments with my brother. Um, but if it wasn't that, it was definitely, yeah, my mom explaining, yeah, and backwards, it's murder. And, and it's spoiler alert, I guess. But um, anyway. Am I wrong? There was a TV adaptation of it, like when I was, I want to say like seven or eight or something like yep. that. Like CBS redid it and put it on TV and stuff. Yeah. And I remember the ads like for it. Choice. Well, TV. yes. Do you yeah. want to know why this happened? <laughs> um, so I'm going to be talking about The Shining, the film by Stanley Kubrick. It is famously, um, like Stephen King hates this adaptation <laughs> and everyone knows this. Yes. And so the TV version, like Stephen King, I think produced or like he yeah. was behind it and Ooh, it was yeah. basically him being like, we must correct this Kubrick this. version. Also a lot of behind the scenes stuff about what Kubrick did to like Charlie Duvall and all this kind of stuff that it's like, Ooh, yeah. wow, you Wait, cannot do that. To who? Sorry. Um, the, Lead actress of the film. Oh, sure. Okay. Yep. Shelley Duvall, right? Yes. Yes. I don't know if I know all about that. Oh, really? Uh, there's a lot of kind of apocryphal stories about, like, not letting her sleep and, like, terrifying oh. her and all this kind of stuff. Oh, I so like I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to look that up while you, look you that guys up. do that. I'm going to make sure that I, yeah, it is Shelley Duvall. I, okay. All right. Sorry. I'm in, so I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, do but, it. Okay. Um, so I'll give the plot of the movie. And then, like I said, because Stephen King <laughs> hated this adaptation so much, I will also talk about, like, differences between the book and the movie um, afterward and kind of how these two compare. Um, so the opening shot of this movie... Um, I just, the opening's so cool. Um, it's following a yellow Volkswagen through the mountains, and it's a helicopter shot, but it's kind of like trailing um, this Volkswagen going through the mountains, and it's kind of like tilting, and it's really neat looking, and it has this pretty ominous music. Um, 
I I wish I had a clip ready of it. <laughs> um, the music from this is pretty iconic as well. Um, so right away we get like pretty creepy feeling from this movie. Um, it turns out that in the Volkswagen is Jack Torrance, who is driving to the Overlook Hotel. So it's um, this kind of secluded hotel that people in Colorado go to when they want to like escape into the mountains. Um, and he's going there to interview for a caretaker position. So with where the Overlook Hotel is situated, um, during the winter, it's really impossible to get to it because they get feet and feet of snow through the mountain passages. So people can't easily access it. So during the winter, they have a family that generally like takes care of the hotel and makes sure you know it doesn't fall into disarray. Um, and so that's the job that Jack's applying for. Um, He's a former teacher, um, but he's no longer doing that and is planning to like use this opportunity um, of seclusion to work on a novel. Um, so he goes to the hotel. He's interviewing with the manager, Mr. Ullman. Um, and they're kind of asking him, they say, you know, it's snowbound, you're gonna be stuck here. Some people kind of get cabin fever. Is your family gonna be okay with this? And he proceeds to tell them the worst thing you could possibly say during an interview, which is that one of their past caretakers, Charles Grady, went mad in the hotel when, you know, he was stuck there in the snow and he killed his wife and his two daughters with an ax before killing himself, shooting himself. Um, so they're like, we just feel like we need to warn you about this and, you know, just, you know, throw that out there. And he says, well, that's kind of an alarming thing to tell me during the interview, mm -hmm. but, um, great. Like we'll be fine. And my wife and son are happy about it. Um, are happy to stay at the hotel. Um, should be noted, Jack Torrance is played by Jack Nich Nicholson. And if you've seen Jack Nicholson, this movie, he automatically puts me, <laughs> like, makes me uneasy. Because Jack Nicholson has these eyebrows that kind of on one end kind of tilt up. And so it makes him look a little sinister. <laughs> um, just like any time you see Jack Nicholson. So I'm convinced they cast him in part because of these like really creepy eyebrows <laughs> that make you unsettled automatically. But anyway, um, so then we go to Jack's family. So you've got Jack's wife, Wendy, who's played by Shelley Duvall, um, who weirdly I grew up um, watching Shelley Duvall's bedtime stories. Like oh, really? she hosted and Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater. Like she hosted kind of this anthology series where different celebrities would act out fairy tale stories. So it's weird that that's what I know her from is this very like child's um, TV show. Anyway. Um, so she's eating lunch with her son, Danny. Um, so we learn about Danny. He's got this imaginary friend named Tony who he, whenever Danny is kind of like speaking for his imaginary friend, he raises his pointer finger and kind of talks in a deeper voice to like speak for Tony. Um, so it's kind of creepy. And he says like, oh, he lives in my mouth. But he, I don't, so it's like this presence with him. But so there's a scene later where Danny's brushing his teeth and he's like talking to Tony, but looking in self and looking at himself in the mirror, talking to this imaginary friend of his and he's saying like, do you think, do you think dad's going to get the job? He goes, yeah, he already got the job in like the Tony voice. 
And um, basically says, we don't want to go to the hotel. And then Danny has this vision. Um, and if you've seen anything of The Shining, you know it, where um, gives him a vision of an elevator that starts like squirting out blood. The doors do not open, but it just starts oozing blood that like splashes through this whole hallway next to the elevator. Um, so Danny, we can presume like faints because the next scene we get is a doctor checking him out. And um, the doctor says, you know, he's okay. We don't really know what happened. And um, the doctor tried to like get more out of him, but he's like, he won't say what he saw. Um, Wendy starts talking to the doctor. And it kind of comes out that there was an incident where Jack... Um, so Jack was an alcoholic. And there was an incident where he had gotten really drunk and was trying to like pull Danny up off the floor and pulled him too hard and dislocated his arm or his shoulder from his arm. Um, and she says, you know, that moment... Um, Jack had said, you know, if I don't get sober, you can leave me. And he hadn't touched um, any alcohol since. So that was like five months ago, I think they say. Um, so we learned that. Um, Jack comes back, or I guess he's calling, and says, so he's got, he got the job, the Overlook Hotel, and then the family goes out to the hotel. Um, this is in October, so they're supposed to be there now until the next May. Um, so they move everything in. Um, I put, you can already tell Jack is unhinged. I don't know. I watched, so maybe I'll bring this up more later, but I watched a documentary with different takes on The Shining, and there's all these like little clues throughout. Um, when he's at the hotel and about to take a tour, he's like looking at this magazine. If you zoom into it, it's a Playboy magazine. Like while he's on the job, he's re so there's like a lot of really suspicious stuff about him when you're really looking into it. Anyway, they toured this enormous hotel, which we learned was built on a Native American burial ground. Um, we, there's a lot of creepy things that kind of happen back to back. So, um, Danny is off playing darts in a game room. Um, and he turns around and there are two twin girls in these like blue dresses that are holding hands that just look creepy. And this is like visions. He keeps getting these visions of past suspicious things that are happening at the Overlook Hotel. Um, so he sees these girls. Think of what else we get. Um, it goes back to them looking at different rooms in the hotel. Um, the manager shows them the gold room, which is this really large ballroom. Um, and they make a comment that, like, there's this whole bar, but they've removed all the alcohol because they don't want to pay for, like, insurance or whatever it is you have to pay on all of the alcohol there during the winter when no one's there. Um, which is good since Jack is an alcoholic. Um, they meet up with the head chef. So Dick, uh, Halloran, who, um, he's, he's sent to kind of show Wendy the kitchen, which I guess this is a little sexist that I guess they just expect Wendy, like, we'll show you the kitchen where all the food is and you're going to have to do all of these things. Jack, we're going to show you the cigar room and Wendy, and Wendy, you're going to look at the kitchen. Yep. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> But he's showing Wendy and Danny around, um, like, the kitchen and the pantry and whatnot. 
And Dick is calling Danny Doc, and he calls him that a few times. And when he says, how did you know that we call him Doc? Like, I, and he says, oh, I must have heard you. She's like, no, we didn't say that around you. And it's a little weird. Um, later, when they're standing in the pantry, then, um, there's a shot of, like, Danny can hear Dick's voice, like, telepathically. And he's telling him, like, how about some ice cream or something? Um, so when the manager and Jack come back and, like, start showing Wendy um, other parts of the house, Dick and Danny get some ice cream and are talking alone. And Dick says, like, oh, I can tell that you have this gift that both me and my grandmother had. And the grandmother referred to it as shining. So when they can, like, communicate telepathically. Um, he says that people with this power can usually sense something strange about the hotel. Um, and Danny asked Dick about room 237 because he can sense that, like, he's really afraid of this room. <laughs> I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Um, and he says, you need to stay away from it. Um, I guess of note, too, is that Dick says the visions are just like pictures in a book. Like, they're not, they have happened, and they won't happen again. Um, but you can imagine if you're a little kid seeing, like, blood coming out of an elevator or two creepy little girls. <laughs> like, it's hard to just kind of wish that away. Um, I forgot to get mentioned in the movie. You can kind of see time passing because they have just these black, like, title cards saying a month later or, and just show the passing of time. So we get a month later. Um, Jack's writing isn't going anywhere. So he's kind of set up in this big, like, lounge area with his typewriter. And Wendy comes in to ask him about something and he snaps at her and it's like, um, drops a lot of language and is like, you, if you're disrupting me, I'm never going to get any work done. And you can just see that, like, he can very quickly, like, become unhinged and upset. Um, the, oh, I have these out of order. Another thing, so Danny and Wendy, we also see, so the hotel has this very famous large hedge maze. And so we see Danny and Wendy, like, checking out the hedge maze and kind of going through stops and getting stuck and, like, making their way through it. Um, Danny, so another, like, pretty iconic thing is that, so Kubrick shoots, Danny has this, like, tricycle, um, and he shoots it, like, from kind of the level like on the floor, what did you even yeah. call that? Yeah, it's, so it's, it's almost a, from the. It's a low steady cam. And steady cam yeah. at this point, this was like the first movie that really heavily used steady cam. Oh, yay. Which is now like a staple. Mm -hmm. But I he was, actually he worked with the inventor of the steady cam to create a low steady cam for those shots. Yeah, one of those kind of Kubrickian kind of yeah. things is steady cam. And it's almost like it comes from like the part that connects the wheels of his tricycle almost. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. a little bit set back, but yeah, right behind him. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at first we get kind of an establishing sort of shot of, like, him going around this whole floor of the hotel. Um, and then later on it's kind of recurring that he's on this tricycle. And there's one where you can also see he, like, will go. But if you've been following, it's also because I watched this documentary, but if you're, like, following it closely enough, you can tell that... Sometimes, like, where he ends up is not what they showed earlier. Like, the geography, I guess, of the hotel kind of changes. And there's one where he's riding around and then turns the corner and sees those two girls again. 
And they, so it's these two sisters holding hands and they say, come play with us, Danny, forever and ever and ever. Um, and it's really creepy. <laughs> um, he also sees them in that same hall dead, like with blood, axe on the ground. Um, so we get the impression that these are the girls that were killed from that earlier caretaker. Um, I'm trying to think what else he sees. So... The snowstorm comes in. Wendy realizes that their phone lines don't work. Um, they have a radio that they can like communicate with the park service, but they find out like the powers, the lines are down pretty much everywhere because this is one of the worst winters they've had. Um, it's also a super creepy scene <laughs> where the other summaries don't really mention this, but I found it so creepy. Um, Jack, like, isn't sleeping well, often is, like, staring off. So when they're going into the hedge maze, he's just kind of staring out the window, all creepy. Um, there's a part where Wendy and Danny are, like, watching a show, and he says, oh, I want to go get my truck. And Wendy's like, no, your dad's sleeping in there. He says, oh, I'll be quiet. So she lets him up. He kind of creeps in, but Jack is just, like, on the bed staring out the window and, like, not moving. Um, and Danny goes over there and is talking to him and, but he can sense like something's wrong with his dad. And he says, like, you're not going to hurt us, are you? Because he's seeing these visions of what happened before. Um, so I guess we can go now to, so Danny's playing in the hall. Again, this is like a pretty iconic scene, but there's this like hexagonal, like uh, carpet um, pattern on the carpet. So he's playing down a hall with this carpet. Um, and he has kind of his trucks like lined up and there's a ball that rolls down right in the middle of it. And it seems to have come from room 237. Um, he's seen it before and didn't go in there, but now on this occasion decides to go in there. And as we see him enter, then Jack starts screaming in the lounge where he's been working on his book. Um, Wendy goes to him and he says that he fell asleep and had this dream about chopping Wendy and Danny to pieces with an ax. Um, and so Wendy is obviously really distraught by that, but trying to keep it together. Um, Danny eventually like comes down and she's like, because Jack is really unhinged, she's like, oh, go in your room. But he's like sucking his thumb and looks kind of, um, distraught. And Wendy goes and looks at him and he's got all of these bruises on his neck. And because of the history of what's happened with Jack and Danny, Wendy just assumes that Jack did it. Because there's no one else at the hotel. Like, who else could have done it? Um, so she blames him, takes Danny away. Jack is really upset about the accusation. So he goes into the empty gold room. He goes, like, where the bar would be, and there's no alcohol in it. Um, and he starts, he's kind of sitting there with, like, his head in his hands. And you see him look up, but the camera's looking directly at him. And so then he looks up and is like looking right into the camera is like, oh, hey, Lloyd. And then you see on the other end, you've now got this bartender that's standing there who we can assume is like a ghost of the hotel. Um, he's so Jack's like complaining to him about his marriage, saying that Wendy like always holds this incident against him. And it's been, you know, years ago and she still holds it against him is kind of complaining. Um... Wendy eventually goes back to Jack, who, um, so she says that Danny has said that the reason he has his, these bruises is because there was a crazy woman who attacked him in the bathroom of, in the bathtub of room 237. 
So she sends Jack to go investigate and figure out what's happened. Um, when we have, so Jack goes to investigate, but you also have that kind of cut with, you've got Danny sitting in his room and he has like apparently a seizure is sort of what it looks like. And then you actually cut to Dick. So the chef from before who worked at the hotel, who in this off season has gone back home to Florida, who's sitting and kind of staring at his TV um, but you can see that he's just like kind of looking for it and his eyes have kind of a ring around them. There's something in his eyes. And you kind of get the sense that Danny and Dick are like communicating with each other with this shining. Um, and Danny's almost like, something's wrong. <laughs> like, come get me. Um, so that's happening. Jack enters room 237. So he enters the bedroom and there's nothing in there. So he goes to the bathroom, which is all green, um, and there's the bathtub, there's someone in it who pulls like the uh, curtain back, and there's this naked young woman who's sitting there, and Jack's kind of looking at her like creepy. Um, she stands up and like approaches him, and they kind of approach each other, they kiss passionately, but then Jax, so when he's kissing her, he then kind of looks up in the bathroom mirror and he sees that what he is holding is like this rotting corpse. Um, That's real gross. Yeah, who then like looks up at him and starts cackling and it's like this old creepy woman. Um, so Jack gets the heck out of there. And then when he's talking to Wendy about it, he's like, there's nothing around 237. Um, he refuses to say what's gone on in there. Um, as you would, probably. As you would. <laughs> um, I would hope not. Oh, yeah. So, what did you say? Oh, yeah, there was, this, there was this naked woman in the shower, and I started making out. Turns out, corpse. Like, I mean. Listen. He's already in trouble because we she would hope Andrew would never do that him. to you to begin I with. <laughs> well, exactly. Like, That's oh, I know. Like, if come it did on. happen, I would hope that you would tell me if it's something that would put the safety of our family. She's already she like she's already mad at him because she thinks that he choked his, their son, and now he's going to be like, oh yeah, no, there's just this random like naked woman here, and then I made out with her. Turns out it's a witch, and now I'm super embarrassed because not only did I make out a woman, it was a corpse, and now there's this. And and like, no, 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 no. He probably thinks he can take care of it. Well, he's an idiot. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, he is. That's kind of the point. Uh, <laughs> I'm so. just saying I hope he would be smarter than that. Of course, but I also would be smart enough not to make out with a naked woman I found in an, an abandoned hotel. Andrew's also not like a psychopath, so <laughs> it would all be fine. I'd be like, I'd be like, hey, uh, you should probably put on some clothes. I'm gonna leave. You get dressed. <laughs> I'll wait out here. We'll chat later. I'm gonna go out here and call. Maybe don't choke anybody. my son. <laughs> I'm gonna call anybody. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh man, that was a fun tangent. <laughs> we can have more. <laughs> so, We're Wendy, because it's just like from here, it's just like, oh no. Um. I I can't remember exactly when the timing of this was, so we're going to pretend it's now. Um, that Danny has started, like, just repeating, Red Rum, Red Rum. I think there's a point, too. Again, maybe I'm doing this too early. But he says, like, Danny is not here. He's talking in, like, the Tony imaginary friend voice. It's like, Danny 
is not here. Like, and just starts repeating red rum, red rum, red rum to his mother. Um, Wendy is understandably freaked out <laughs> and is like telling, so meets up with Jack, says, we need to get out of here. Like, I don't care how we get out. Something's weird about this hotel. Our son is sick and distraught and we need to get out. And Jack goes off on this rant about how Wendy has ruined his life and has she ever thought about the obligations to his employers and how he can't leave the hotel and did she even think for a second about his needs and just the typical like abusive husband just blaming this all on her. Um, so he returns to the gold room in his anger, but now, and it's been empty this whole time, and now it is full of people partying in like 20s getup. Um, he goes to Lloyd at the bar who serves him a drink and Jack's kind of walking through the crowd of people. There's a butler who runs into him and kind of spills stuff on Jack's, um, everyone else is dressed up and Jack isn't really, but on his like coat and stuff. So um, the butler says, well, let's take you to the bathroom. I'll get this off your jacket for you. Go to this bathroom that's all red. So just like the other bathroom is all green, this is all red, which makes the whole thing like way more sinister and off-putting. Um, the butler introduces himself as Delbert Grady. Um, I guess I didn't say this before. So this is the, the caretaker who killed his family. Um, so Jack says, oh, you're that guy that they told me about um, who killed your family. And Grady's like, I, I don't remember that at all. And um, Jack's like, well, you're the caretaker. You're the one who... Did this and Grady says, No, Jack, you've always been the caretaker. So he says, So, I'm like, what is that about? Um, Grady proceeds to tell him that Danny has this great talent and is talking about the shining, and he's using it to like bring someone else into this situation. Um, and so kind of to call Dick there. Um, and Grady says, like, I know how you can like deal with your family and essentially killing them. Um, yeah, I bet you do know how to deal with your family. I bet he does. <laughs> um, so going back to Dick then, who's in Florida, he's called the Park Service, who we know... I can't remember what point again we see it, but Jack has like ruined the radio so no one can contact. Like their one point of contact outside of the hotel they cannot have. So... Um, Dick's tried to get a hold of them, but because that hasn't worked out, he's like, great, I'm flying to Colorado. I'm going to deal with this situation. Calls up a friend. He's like, you know, I need, you know, your snowmobile or whatever it is and get through here and get to the hotel. Um, he does. It's worth it. So I'll bring this part of me now because it's interesting. So he's kind of making his way to the hotel. Um, and I think it's really just like scene setting to show that he can't really get through to the hotel, but he passes this like semi that's fallen on top of a red Volkswagen. Um, and again, in the documentary I talked about, um, in the, in the book, Jack drives a red Volkswagen, in the film, he's driving a yellow one. And so some people say this is Kubrick's way of being like, to hell with the book. Like, I'm doing this my own way. I smashed the red <laughs> Volkswagen. Um, but anyway. Sounds like Kubrick. Dick is on his way to the rescue. So going back to Wendy, she's armed herself with a baseball bat. She is 
very freaked out with Jack. Um, and so she's trying to find out what happened to him. Um, and she goes to the lounge where Jack's been working. So he's got his typewriter. He's got all these pages he's been working on. And she grabs, grabs them. And page after page, all he has written this whole time is all work and no play. Makes Jack a dull boy over and over and over again. And just every page she pulls back. And it is so freaky. This is less encouraging. <laughs> so, um... Jack says something like, how do you like it? And he's behind her and Wendy's freaked out um, and goes up the staircase. um, And Jack's like, oh, I'm not. She's convinced he's going to hurt her. Um, Jack is like, oh, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in or says something to that. And he's very terrifying. Um, I am not that terrifying. So sorry. Go watch the movie. But um, (laughs) no one. No, <laughs> no one Very is that scary. terrifying. Jack Nicholson is <laughs> so he is good at this. So scary. Oh <laughs> um, so Wendy hits him over the head with the baseball bat, and he's on the staircase. So he falls down the staircase and is knocked out unconscious. Next time we see him, so Wendy's dragging him into the pantry. Is like I'm. I, she locks him in there. Um, And he's trying to convince her to let him out. And she's like, no, we're getting out of here. And Jack says, well, I sabotaged the radio. I sabotaged the, like, I ruined the snowmobile. Like, you are not getting out of here. Um, Which Wendy goes and checks out and finds is true. And so now she really doesn't know what to do. Um, Jack falls asleep. But then we see him. So he wakes up when he hears Grady's voice from earlier, who's expressing, like, disappointment that he didn't do the deed he was supposed to. And Jack's saying, like, well, if I can just get one chance, I'll, one more chance, I'll get the job done. Um, and so the pantry door is locked, and then it unlocks. And this is the one point in the movie where, like, we have no idea how, and there are a lot of theories on how this gets unlocked, but the pantry door unlocks. Um... Wendy somehow has fallen asleep, <laughs> and I, 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 it's like I would sleep with my one eye open, um, watching out for that guy, but she thinks her husband's locked away in the pantry. Um, Danny comes into the room carrying a knife, so he's still kind of possessed by this, like, other, this imaginary friend of his. Um, he grabs his mom's lipstick and writes red rum on the bathroom uh, door, and Wendy wakes up, grabs Danny, and is trying to console him, but then again in a mirror sees that it the reverse of it, which is murder. Um, so she's really freaked out, and then they hear banging on the apartment door, which is Jack with an axe, ready to get into the bedroom to kill them both. So Wendy and Danny go into the bathroom. Um they have a window in there, so Wendy kind of creaks it open. They lock the door. Um, they're able to send Danny out because he's pretty young. He can fit through, but she can't fit. And so she yells at him to run. And she's, uh, Wendy's standing by the door with this knife. And um, I think that's one of the most iconic scenes is that then Jack's like coming through the door and you just see the axe go through the door. Wendy's screaming on the other side. Um, he starts swinging the axe and then he sticks his head through and says, here's Johnny. 
Um, which apparently Jack Nicholson uh, ad-libbed from the Johnny Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Um, so Wendy hits his hand with a knife, um, but Jack's still trying to get in. And then um, they hear it, though. So Dick has finally made it there. So they hear his, like, snowmobile coming in. Um, so Jack leaves to try to figure out what's going on. Um, and he's kind of hiding. Dick enters the hotel, is trying to figure out where everyone is. Jack comes and stabs him with an axe. And he's gone. Um Danny, who has been outside, but stupidly comes back into the hotel and is for a while, like, kind of hiding in the kitchen, um, sees what happens with Dick. I think it's telepathically at that point, but, like, screams because of what has happened and reveals himself. So he runs outside into the hedge maze, which, because of the weather, is, like, snowed over um, and all icy. Um, Wendy goes off around the hotel, like, searching for Danny now, and she encounters, like multiple ghosts so there's one that's got kind of a cut down his head and it's one of those ghosts from like the party that's holding a glass of champagne and whatnot and there's a room where it's like now covered in cobwebs and it's all dark and there's just a skeleton sitting in the middle of it and she freaks out and then finally she ends up at the elevator which we've seen like multiple times at this point but now she sees the elevator with all the blood gushing out um so yeah danny's running to the hedge maze jack heard him and so runs after him in the hedge maze and like turns the lights on so he can try to see him um they're running through and it's really creepy because it's at that same like it's following him right so you feel like you're in the maze <laughs> stuck there with jack gonna kill you with the dang axe <laughs> and um danny realizes that because it's all covered in snow that he's just leaving tracks that jack's gonna keep finding him and following him so smart kid that he is at least in this one moment um stops kind of goes and retraces his steps and then goes off to his side and covers up those footprints so that the footprints just stop. Um, so Jack now doesn't know what to do. He's mad and um, losing his mind. And so he kind of wanders through the maze. Danny, I think they were setting up, like he's been in this before. He knows his way out. So he gets out. Um, but Jack's still in the maze. Wendy's out there, and so they take, like, the snowmobile thing that Dick brought in. They take it, get out. Um, and the next thing we see, then, is, like, this shot. It's a meme now, but Jack Nicholson just, like, frozen over, and um, Jack froze real, to death in the hedge maze because he real couldn't get out. Face. Yeah. Um, then the last shot we get, so going through the hotel, the hotel this whole time has had, like, pictures all throughout it um, and pictures of, like, its history and whatnot. So you've got this wall that's got all these photographs on it, and it kind of keeps zooming in and in on this one picture, and you've got, like, a party of people, and you can kind of see one corner. There's a guy that looks like Jack, and it keeps zooming in until you see Jack, and then it zooms down, and it says, um, Overlook Hotel, July 4th Ball, 1921. And this movie, I should have said, was made in 1980. <laughs> And that's the end! Woo! <laughs> Creepy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, the photograph, 
I, it's kind of, I mean, we talked about 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is also Kubrick. So it's left open to interpretation. Um, Some people think Jack is like a reincarnated version of a man who lived in the hotel, meant to repeat the hotel's history. Um, Some people think like the hotel kind of absorbed him and now he's like one with the hotel, which there's a Twilight Zone earlier this year. It kind of does something similar. So I really like that. But yeah. Cool. Are you going to watch it now, Courtney? Uh, I feel like. I feel like you're such a good storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do it. But that's that is the thing about Kubrick, though. Is he does he is able to like his he's such a talented filmmaker from a visual standpoint that it's like yeah. there's so much so much of that feeling you're talking about how and he's such a perfectionist that when Danny does go down like a different hallway that's not just like a oops we didn't put the same setup it's like a okay oh wow all right intentional yeah and there's little things too so again like maybe we talk about some themes of this movie but if anyone's interested in the shining so there's a documentary called room 237 which is just a bunch of people that the, they like interviewed about The Shining who have these weird conspiracy theories about what it means. Um, but they brought up there's a point even where um, where Danny's sitting on that hexagon like carpet and the ball rolls toward him. It's rolling down like a black line, right? But then when it turns, the camera turns and you see him again that line where the ball was is gone. Like the hexagon has closed instead of having, so the pattern of the carpet has reversed. And so he does these little things to kind of, I don't know, like unsettle you (laughs) throughout. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's been so many things that have referenced The Shining and put stuff like in, have put that in there. that carpet, the hexagonal carpet, is actually the same design that is in the, is in the Phillips home in Toy Story. Oh. Uh, in Sid's home, it's, it's the same. It's not the same <laughs> color, but it is the same design. Uh-huh. The animators put that carpet into Sid Phillips's home. So Woody and That's Buzz awesome. are running around. It's the same carpet from The Shining. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm trying to let... Oh, we talk about that psych episode. The twins yeah. that live in the apartment are the same twins who were in the Shining. Oh, nice! The Simpsons, as I mentioned, did a fantastic. It's probably my favorite Halloween segment they've ever done. Was uh, the Shining because um, <laughs> you didn't want to get sued. Is what Groundskeeper Willie is the dick character, and so he's all yeah. Bart's all. You mean the Shining? He's all. Do you want to get sued? <laughs> and so like, yeah, it's it, it's kind of there's it. It is like the Godfather in that like so many things have referenced it. There's an extended yeah. Shining um, episode in uh, Ready Player One, um, which is not in the novels, but it is in the movie. I had to um, watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's oh, I have a fun fact about The Shining. Actually. Yeah. So we were just in Cleveland, and we went to the Christmas Story house, and the tour guide. One of the things the tour guide said was that originally, um, the old man, the the father in that movie was supposed to be played by Jack Nicholson. Oh. Then he did The Shining and it came out and they were like, ooh. 
Yeah, maybe not the person that would want this father. Maybe role. not. <laughs> um, Although the dad in that movie is kind of creepy. Yeah. Like well, I can he's, see he's, why they wanted to cast he's Jack. Not hinged, but in a different yes, he's, he's I can grumpy. see why he's they not, wanted to cast Jack Nicholson yeah. for it. Though he's grumpy, not terrifying. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> uh, to note uh, that is, The Shining is one of the main reasons why Jack Nicholson was cast as the Joker in the 1989 mm-hmm. Batman. Somebody mm-hmm. in the production studio painted that scene of him. With his face yelling, here's Johnny, they put the Joker makeup on him, and that's one of the main reasons they wanted him for the Joker. Crazy. I kept looking at his mouth weirdly, and I'm like, his, like, that wasn't too much of a stretch to have him be the Joker. Like, I really kept looking at his facial features, like, he's just got a creepy look to him. No offense, Jack Nicholson. um, I mentioned kind of when we started talking about this, um, the stuff with Shirley Duvall and uh, director Stanley Kubrick, and I found this. Uh, article there's a bunch of stuff um so kubrick was was famously very kind of protective of he, he didn't like the press when they were talking about his art and stuff he did allow his daughter vivian to make a documentary about making the shining um and in it uh it revealed kind of like his abusiveness of Shelley duvall mm-hmm. while making the film um he constantly belittled her acting um <laughs> and like was always talking like he always praised jack nicholson and belittled her Calling her ideas worthless and stupid and stuff like that. Oh. Um, that apparently she had a really improvisational acting style that he didn't like. Oh. There was there was part of that, um, and then let's see. Um, they yeah she uh, Stephen King famously like you said doesn't like this adaptation. And a large reason is Wendy's character. Um, he called her a screaming dish rag in the. You see, like he's, uh-huh. he's basically just a screaming dish rag in this film. I haven't read the novel, but apparent, but like knowing Stephen King's writing, I assume that she's got much more to do than just being like ah. She's blonde, like yeah. very movie star quality or something. Is that I, what I read? Um, I haven't read the book. What was say? Oh yeah, apparently, like Stephen King wrote the original screenplay, like the original oh. adaptation. And Kubrick just threw it out the window and hired somebody else. Yeah. Um, Stephen King was just like, what? All right. So, part, yeah, part of this was um, Kubrick would be, like, talking to the crew members saying, uh, he's heard in the film that Vivian made, uh, saying, while she's standing right next to him, don't sympathize with Shelley. Um, there's, uh, so that, that baseball bat scene where mm-hmm. she's swinging at him. Um, has the Guinness record for the scene with the most takes with spoken dialogue, 127 takes, Yikes. and apparently kept pushing her more and more and more uh. until she was at her literal wits end to get kind of what she yeah. wanted out of her. So like he was really pushing her close to insanity in order uh. to get that scene. It um, looks like she was put through the ringer if you've seen her in that film. Yeah, oh. so yeah, Stephen King in an interview with Rolling Stone in 2014 said the movie is so misogynistic. I mean, Wendy Torrance is presented as just a sort of screaming dish rag. Um, she retired from acting in 2002 and has suffered a lot of kind of um, setbacks and, and stuff like that in her career. Um, she has been reported from suffering from mental illnesses and stuff like that. And a lot of people think it might be due to this kind of traumatic experience that she had while filming this film um, to kind of get what Kubrick had in mind for what Wendy went through pushing her to these extremes and that kind of thing although by all accounts all of the actors on the set had a really hard time with Kubrick Jack Nicholson actually clashed with him a lot too Hmm. because I think that one thing that Kubrick did is when he 
when they would adjust lighting, a lot of the time you have stand-ins who are, you know, the approximate like weight and height of the actors. So the actors don't have to be there for hours upon hours. Um, but Kubrick was such a perfectionist, he had the actors actually doing that. So it meant that the actors had to be on set for way longer. Yeah. And I guess the screenplay was changing like constantly. So they didn't have a lot of time to learn their lines. And production, like the filming lasted a year. Hmm. Like it was a long shoot. So, yeah. So she's really rough for everybody. She said this about the filming conditions. Jack Nicholson's character had to be crazy and angry all the time. And in my character, I had to cry 12 hours a day, all day long, the last nine months straight, five or six days a week. I, I was there a year and a month, and there must be something to primal screen therapy because after the day was over and I cried for my 12 hours, I went home very contented. It had a very calming effect. During the day, I would have been absolutely miserable. After all that, after all that work, hardly anyone even criticized my performance in it, even or even to mention it. It seemed like the reviews were all about Kubrick, like I wasn't there. Oh, so. sorry, honey. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, not cool stuff going on with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really come really comes through in the acting, though, <laughs> I guess. Like Yeah. Um so some differences between the book and the movie. Um, you have mentioned Wendy's quite different. Um, I mean the general sense I have not read the novel, but like the general sense that I got is Stephen King wanted the hotel to be evil and not Jack, who in the book is John Torrance, not Jack Torrance, but um, like it's the hotel that is making him mad. And from the film, we really get a sense that Jack is always like has some problems. Um, but there's a lot more like John Torrance in the book is, um, working on a play, but switches to working on like a history of the hotel. And it's the deeper and deeper he gets in, like the more mad he gets. And there's more, um, I like ghosts and like more of a supernatural presence, um, from the hotel, um, there's no hedge maze. They, uh, Danny never sees the twins, although like the same horrible incident had occurred. Um, I, the ending though is because there's no hedge maze. Um, I believe it's so, uh, John is, he ends up blowing up the hotel, but like he snaps out of kind of his madness for a moment to tell Danny to run and he ends up blowing up the hotel. Um, but, like, you get more of a sense in the book, I take it, that, like, the hotel wants Danny's powers and is, like, trying to take the family for the, its own, I don't know, kind of this, like, evil spirit. That yeah. sounds like a Stephen King thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask if the novel had any um, giant cosmic turtles in it, but that's, I yeah, guess that contained a one other novel, not the, so. What's the one with giant Oh, okay. Oh. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because I was going to say, like, from how you're describing the movie, like, the actual Shining, the gift that Danny has, seems to be, like, a side story in the overarching story of uh, Jack's Madness and the hotel. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, and so it's kind of, like, I've always wondered that, just based on the parodies and things that I've seen, but the way you're describing the book, I'm like, oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. So. It does make more, it does seem that, like, that would be much more of an interest to Kubrick to tell the story of a man descending into madness that it would be like a supernatural force mm -hmm. that you know wants to take a, another supernatural force. <laughs> like yeah. it seems like the story of Jack is much more interesting as a subject to yeah. Kubrick and that's probably another reason why Stephen King hates it so much. Yeah. 
Um, there's a bunch of theories about, like, so what the film is about, why Cooper changed it so much. The one that I liked personally was, so there are theories about it being about American imperialism and the genocide of Native, Native Americans, which, because the hotel was built on Native American burial ground, like, there's some kind of truth in that. Some people think um, it's the Holocaust. Um, but I think, so both of those things, the image of the elevators with the blood kind of gushing out, it's almost like people trying to keep like the horrible tragedy behind doors. Like the doors of the elevator never open to let this blood out, but it comes out anyway. Like, um, and there's also like a lot of patterns throughout the film. So like Jack harmed his son once, he's bound to do it again. There was this murder at the hotel, it's gonna happen again. There's patterns all throughout the hotel. Um, and the whole thing is like, if you don't understand, so when Danny goes through the maze, he sees the footprints and that's only when he like realizes what he's doing can he backtrack in order to stop this from happening to him so there's kind of a sense of if you don't understand history it's going to repeat itself until you understand and do something to stop it um there are a lot of mirrors in the film and so some people have like superimposed they played the film forward superimposed over the film being played backwards to see like what images came up and that was kind of interesting um the one i had to tell you courtney though the conspiracy was that some people believe that the shining is um evidence that kubrick shot the footage of the moon landing and that this is his way of telling the world that's what happened um some clues that point to that which are kind of ridiculous but in the part we've been talking about before danny goes into room 237 um he's wearing a sweater that has the apollo 11 shuttle on it um 237 is so it's supposedly is it 237,000 miles the earth between the moon and in the novel, it was room 217, and they mm. changed it to 237. Um, I Historically, they say that's because the Stanley Hotel that Stephen King like based this whole thing on said, you cannot put like an actual room number on there right. because then no one will stay in that room. But yeah. some people said, no, it's because it's the distance from the Earth to the moon. Yeah, the distance from the Earth to the moon is 238,000 238, miles. Close, There's Tang in the pantry. I don't know. He came up with oh all gosh. sorts of things. Inject, oh. inject and like that stuff fascinating. <laughs> inject that stuff into my veins. I love, I, I, I love internet fandoms. That yes. Like find stuff like this, and it's just like this is what it means, and I'm like, no, yeah. it isn't. But give, I want to know more. <laughs> well, their documentary was so fun though, because like, I mean, the truth of it is that Kubert couldn't possibly have thought all of these things. But what's great about postmodern like film criticism is that it doesn't matter what the creator of it thought like you can read whatever the heck you want into <laughs> yes. that film and so anyway there's definitely a lot of interesting symbolism so a lot of debate over what yeah. the film means and you can draw what you want from it nice um well really quickly before we wrap this up um can you tell us anything about how the shining relates to the upcoming movie dr sleep can I? <laughs> um, just from the trailers, so Hugh McGregor plays an adult Danny who still has this supernatural power. 
Um, it appears that, oh, now I'm trying to remember that he like, it seems like he's trying to help a young girl who has these same supernatural powers and she's trying, these witches are trying to get to her. I think that's all that I've really, it's based on a novel by Stephen King. So if you want to know the whole plot, (laughs) there's a novel already out there for you. You don't even have to wait. Um, Yes, that that has been my takeaway. Did I um, understand the trailer correctly? <laughs> well, Dark, Dark, Doctor Sleep actually is a really recent novel from Stephen King from 2013. Yes. Um, so it is kind. Of, it is a. Um, I believe it's a direct sequel, is it not? Yeah. Um, and in fact, did you guys watch the yeah. the series You? <laughs> no. Oh. With creepy. Um, Dan from Gossip Girl that he's like a serial killer that runs a bookstore but you're supposed to kind of sympathize with him a little bit even though he's evil. Anyway Mm -hmm. the only reason people go to the bookstore is when Dr. Sleep comes out. It's really interesting. I'm just kind of reading the Wikipedia summary of the plot of Dr. Sleep. It seems that um, Dick actually survives. Um, oh, family. in the book he survives. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. there's another difference um, I forgot to mention. Yeah, he survives. His <laughs> I did know that. Um, and uh, kind of helps Danny like create safe, like it says, lockboxes in his mind to kind of contain the ghosts from mm-hmm. the evil room and all this kind of stuff. So it seems that um, the ghosts of the hotel are going to be playing kind of a major role in this film, which is interesting if it's going to be a direct sequel to the. Like, I know that it's an adaptation of Dr. Sleep, not an adaptation of a sequel of The Shining, because they didn't really... Like, they had the ghosts in there, but they're a much smaller part of the film than Jackson's sanity. So, I do wonder how they're going to kind of be like, oh no, it was the ghosts who were evil. Like, they'll probably have yes. to do some retconning within Dr. Sleep in order to make that a little bit more apparent. And most people, like, definitely know the film. Right. Then. And, although it's interesting, though, because they have... I mean, you have Ewan McGregor in the trailer, like, looking through that door. There are visual things from the film, so it's not like it's ignoring the film and just going with the book. Right. But, um, Dan Torrance, um, also, um, is struggling with alcoholism, like Mm -hmm. his father, so I wonder if, yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Father's troubles are going to come and haunt him! (laughs) I just kind of... Looking through this, it looks like there was a girl, a baby girl, uh, who predicted the 9-11 attacks in the book. Well, let's not so, spoil let's not do that. too much. So, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Can you imagine, like, if the whole movie ignored the supernatural stuff even and just talked about Danny as an adult having to work through the trauma of his father <laughs> trying to kill him in a hedge maze? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that would be a fascinating movie on its own to yeah. me. And then freezing to death, I assume, eventually being found. Like, yeah, that would be terrifying. Yeah. I mean, they got out. Dick got there to the hotel, so presumably well, they can get out. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I assume they went to, like, the park ranger, the police, and, yeah. like, and then there was an investigation. I assume that... That was all, uh, but yes. Yeah. That's all and then no one ever took care of the hotel in the winter again. <laughs> I, I mean, in the book, it. it was gone, yeah, yeah. But, like, in the movie, what do you do with that hotel? <laughs> yes. like, exactly. you know what? We're done. I kind of yes. want to stay in the hotel that this is based on. I'm not going to oh, lie. no, thank you. That sounds fascinating. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> it wouldn't look creepy. It would just be creepy one day like every little sound would spook you oh, absolutely. <laughs> It'd be great. that's why it's a no thank you for me that's a no for me dog uh, 
That sounds cool. fun. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks for joining us on this lovely little adventure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Isn't Halloween just the best? It is the best. Um, you yeah, should so tell everyone what you're dressing up as. Yeah. That could be a fun fact for our listeners. Do it. What are you dressing up as, Shannon? Oh, I'm dressing up as a member of the Spice Girls because that is what? what my team at work is doing. Nice. Which Spice Girl? Which Spice Girl do you think I am? <laughs> Probably Ginger, right? Yeah! Thank you. I was going to say. I used to have red hair. I don't now, but yeah. Ginger is my favorite Spice Girl. Nice. I was more saying this for you guys oh, yeah. to share because yeah. you have cute costumes. <laughs> We're going as the family from A Christmas Story. Although we had like a, a little neighborhood party on Saturday and mm-hmm. our Ralphie was sick. So Andrew Aww. stayed home with him and me and my daughter, we went as Jesse and Amelia Earhart. Jesse from oh, Toy Story. Oh, so. And we both won awards. Yay! And I was like, oh, sweet. We pulled these out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fun. Yeah. Aw. Anyway. Cute. Cool. Well, uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter at PC Footnotes and on Facebook at Pop Culture Footnotes. Um, and you can check us out on... Spotify, um, our main feed is on Anchor FM right now. Um, but yeah, check us out and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.